0: Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. Big burning question for you to start off today. I don't get a softball
1: to warm up. We're just starting with the big burning question. No,
0: this is it. Did you see the Jennifer Lawrence shoot for Vogue magazine? No, but boy, has she been busy
1: with the launch of Mother. So what did I miss?
0: Well, she did, uh, you know, the September Vogue issue is the Vogue issue of the year every year and they brought in four different photographers to shoot her four different ways and it's coming out this week and i got to look at the at the shots and <laughs> She's an interesting model. She just is, you know? Yeah. That girl can do a lot of different things. That's all I can say.
1: Well, not to jump ahead of ourselves, I heard Jennifer Lawrence was originally cast
0: a star in The Glass she Castle. She was. I know, right? She dropped out. And do you know why? I don't know why. The only thing I could think of was, do you remember her first movie, The Bones Movie? Yes. Yeah. I, I felt maybe she thought it was too similar to that because it's really playing a character that's not dissimilar from that. Do you know what I mean? I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Other than that, I I can't imagine
1: why she wouldn't want to play the role it's made for her. Well, speaking of upcoming movies, do you remember in our Wonder Woman podcast, I was talking about that book, The Secret Life of Wonder Woman, about Dr. William Marston? Have you seen the trailer? They're making a movie about him, the creator of Wonder Woman and the inventor of the lie detector test, starring Luke Evans, Rebecca Hall, Connie Britton. It's called Professor Marston and the Wonder Women.
2: Who's Charles Moulton? That is my pseudonym. Why don't you write Wonder Woman under your real name?
1: Because most Americans have a low opinion of comic book writers? Or is it something else?
0: I wonder if if the huge success of Wonder Woman brought that to the forefront, and that's why they're doing it. I thought the
1: same thing, Hollister. I'm gonna have to see when because I thought I wonder if they just threw this into production. And it is a salacious story, so you know it should be pretty interesting.
0: Um, Yeah, Mm -hmm. a little S and M in there too, as I recall, right?
1: (laughs) A lot of bondage with Wonder Woman in her lasso. A little Fifty Shades. <laughs> That's
0: right. Okay, the other big news this week is about Shonda Rhimes. Did you hear? I saw
1: that. I saw some yeah. people were calling it the Shonda Quake, where she might be the highest profile person to leave the networks for Netflix. Hollister, did you see the figure on how much revenue her shows have generated for ABC? No,
0: I didn't. What is? How much is it? Over $2 billion. Well, here's what's interesting. Yeah, so Disney pulls out of Netflix. They want to start their own streaming, um, streaming channel. And so they pull out of Netflix, but Netflix got them back in spades by signing a deal with Shonda Rhimes where she's going to move her new projects, the projects that were you know, already in place over at the network, as well as the projects that she was sort of beginning to work on with them, will stay where they are, but all new projects will be through Netflix, and she's going to move her offices over there. And it's interesting, Disney owns ABC. I hope, though, that we're not seeing this
1: trend. We probably already are with CBS All Access, that Uh people are going to forget that we never paid for network television. I have the feeling everything is going to start to become a subscription service, but did you see Shonda Rhimes' quote about it? I'm thrilled by the idea of a world where I'm not caught in the necessary grind of network television.
0: I can understand why somebody doesn't want to be hostage to advertising on the networks, you know, so that a stream where it's subscription-based is much more interesting and actually easier to manage than trying to please advertisers or when something goes wrong with some voice or another, and the advertisers pull out and everything. I mean, it's just an easier model to make money, you know? And yet with
1: CBS All Access, you still had to watch the ads unless you paid an extra premium, and then they got rid of the ads. So not only were you paying for network TV, you know, it's the same way that flights now charge for overhead space and to let your seat recline. We're losing our rights, Hollister. That You know, TV was always a birthright. But right. yes, did right. you hear about the new Ryan Murphy TV show on Fox? No, what is it? It's a drama called 911, and it's going to star Peter Krause from Parenthood and Six Feet Under and the Shonda Rhimes vehicle, The Catch. And it's going to star Angela Bassett, who I've always loved. So, yeah, it's Ryan Murphy and Brad Falchuk who brought us American Horror Story and Glee. Oh,
0: that's sort of interesting, isn't it? I mean... They might be
1: single-handedly propping up the networks.
0: And then I still have a couple of things. Um, I saw a very interesting video interview with Dustin Hoffman around Tootsie. And he said that when he was transformed... The first time into, Tutsu, he was just shocked, seeing how unattractive he was as a female. And so he said, now you have me looking like a woman, now make me a beautiful woman. And then what they said to him back was, uh, and this is the response that he says changed him forever, and he wept when he talks about it, by the way, and I hope we'll play a little bit of it here, but they said to him, well, that's as good as it's going to (laughs) get. So... In other words, you can't be more beautiful, and it was an epiphany for him to realize.
2: And I went home and started crying, uh, talking to my wife, and I said, I have to make this picture, and she said, why? And I said, because I think I'm an interesting woman when I look at myself on screen, and I know that if I met myself at a party, I would never talk to that character because she doesn't fulfill physically the demands that we're brought up to think we have women have to have in order for us to ask them out. She says, what are you saying? And I said, there's a too many interesting women I have I have I I have not had the experience to know in this life because I have been brainwashed and That was never a comedy for me.
0: I I just thought it was it was really, really, really powerful. Okay, but Amazon Studios has acquired Lucy and Desi. Yes. And that's the Aaron Sarkin drama that's got Kate Blanchett attached to star as Lucille Ball. Yes. And He's been working on this for a number of years. I guess he must be a, a, a I Love Lucy a fan. Once again, I'm going to get to see something by Aaron Sorkin. Yay, yay, now, yay. Hollister,
1: what's your initial thought? Can you picture Kate Blanchett? Because I know you've written about her. Can you see her doing physical comedy? Um, I don't know. Can you? I don't feel like I've seen her do it yet. You no. know, I've seen her do live theater, I've seen her in a lot of dramas. I don't think I've ever seen her in a comedy.
0: Now what's coming to me is an interview she did on Jimmy Fallon. So, yeah, I actually can. She was, you know, quite quippy and tongue-in-cheeky and had a twinkle in her eye when she was, you know, speaking with him. So, you know, you never know what these actors can do until they're put into that spot, but maybe that's the reason she took it, is it's something new out of her box. All right, girls, now this is your last chance. If one piece of candy gets past you and into the packing room unwrapped...
2: You're fired! Yes, ma'am. Let her roll!
1: <laughs> Now, after mentioning all these projects that are coming out, I'm sure you saw on our social media where our listener Val mentioned which series is being canceled by Netflix. I
0: know. Did you saw Gypsy. We're not going to get to find out what happens. I know. I
1: mean, Naomi Watts is another person we'll be talking about with The Glass Castle, so she's still... Definitely busy, but I was kinda of surprised by that. Were you? Well, I was
0: surprised about Gypsy because they didn't finish it. They just didn't. And now I you know, it's sort of like a hanging chad. It's just hanging there. Uh-huh. Okay, so I guess I guess we should really move on and talk about the glass castle now.
1: Yes, based on Jeanette Walls' memoir. That book sold over 4.2 million copies. It's been translated into 31 languages.
0: I can see that. Can you not see that?
1: I can totally. It spent 261 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. Mm -hmm. And right after it came out and hit the shelves, it was optioned. So this is a movie that has been in the works for 12
0: years. Well, what's interesting about the options is a lot of people came and went in terms of who's going to, you know, Jennifer Lawrence was attached to star and produce the movie. She was going to produce it. Oh. Mark um, Ruffalo and Claire Danes were previously supposed to play Rex and Rose Walls, and they jumped out of it. So I don't, I mean, usually when, when that stuff takes that long to get going, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, usually there's a reason, but I don't know, I don't know what it is. I know Jeanette Walls has given
1: a lot of interviews, and I was thinking about something you said on a prior podcast, because she said, you know, it went through a couple different screenwriters, and there were a few that were kind of condescending towards the portrayal of her family. I mean, obviously, you know, Jeanette Walls will be the first to say it was dysfunction, but they poked fun at her parents or the rural environment in which they lived. And Hollister, I know that's something you've said, where there's such a bias towards always portraying big city life on the screen. Well, not
0: only that, but um, here's a quote from her. I never thought my life would be a film. When it happened, my complicated mother, that's how she describes her mother, wouldn't participate. My brother came for the opening, but both my sisters did not. Um, I'm not making fun of my family. They're just wacky. Wacky is an interesting word to describe this family in this movie. In one scene, my grandmother's teaching me to swim in a pool. I thought it was her father, but whatever. I nearly drowned. Okay, here's the funny thing. I have always said, I mean, I, I, I like to write, as you know, and I don't write fiction. I write um, nonfiction. And what holds me back is that exposing people that you love to... A perception that you have of them that might not meet their own is very dangerous in terms of sustaining relationships. I had no idea that her relationships took this big a toll. If her mother wanted nothing to do with it, her sisters didn't come, then, you know, that's a tough, that's a tough nut to crack. Tough nut to crack.
1: And yet, I don't know if that's so much the depiction of the life. It could just be too traumatic to relive. (laughs) You think? Yeah, okay, and, I mean, and I know she did know. wait until her father died before ever even
0: thinking about writing the book. But yeah, well, he died in 97. He died a long time, two, 20 years yeah, ago. Yeah, it might have even been in 94.
2: Rich city folk live in fancy apartments. But their air is so polluted, they can't even see the stars. We'd have to be out of our minds to trade places with any of them. Dr. Taylor said we should go to real school. A real school,
0: huh? This is as real as it gets, kids! You learn from living!
1: You know, it went through several producers, screenwriters, etc., and then it landed in the hands of Gil Netter, who did The Blind Side, which was based on a real-life story, and The Life of Pi, which a lot of people said was unadaptable. And Jeanette Wall said this about it. She said when she realized that this was going to be the producer on the movie, she said, if he knew how to make a movie about a Bengal tiger and an orangutan and a boat, maybe
0: he'd know how to make a movie about my family. (laughs) Uh This was a movie about the complexity of people. You know, he wasn't all bad and he wasn't all good. But his Uh bad was really bad, and his good was really good. And I thought it was very difficult to watch this movie, and I thought that this movie was totally, totally dependent on the acting, not on the script. And the girl who plays... Her when she's younger, not the earliest girl, but the next one up. Mm -hmm. My God, I thought you know, I I I think she's award winning. I mean, I think she was really, really strong in showing the hope and the belief that her father was who she wanted him to be.
2: I would never let anything bad happen to you, but I can't let you cling to the side your whole life just because you're scared. It was
0: your job to protect us. I thought it was
1: really, really hard to watch, didn't you? It was very hard to watch. I think it's a difficult book to read. And at the end, when they show real-life footage, I realized then that hard as I thought it was to watch the movie, if this had been a documentary, it would have broken me in two. Because there are some details in the book that don't make the movie, and I think it was the right decision, you know, not to pig-pile everything in there. But, for example, it's not until the part where you meet his mother, Where you start to think, okay, people who can be such difficult people, they're the product of some kind of upbringing of their own. Mm -hmm. And that causal chain is something that's heartbreaking. And in the book, they mention that his alcoholism really took off with the loss of one of their children, which is not brought up in the movie. Mm -hmm. It's that process that I don't know how one ever does it, but where you've got to break that chain and find a new beginning like she and her siblings seem
0: to have done. There are such great lessons in this film. Mm -hmm. And one of the lessons is we assume that love means you're going to be good to the person if you love them. You know, if someone loves you, then they're going to treat you in these wonderful, wonderful ways. But there's no doubt in my mind that this man loved his children.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: It just shows the complexity and the fallacy of how we hold behavior around certain words. So if you treat someone like that, then people say he didn't love you or he wouldn't have done that. Not necessarily true. I mean, I think the value of of the role of the father is to show us that just because you love someone does not mean you're not going to do terrible, awful things and you know and and live to pay the price for them later. Mm-hmm. It was a very painful movie, but well worth watching. Well, you know, this is something that the producer
1: said. He said, there's kind of a general theme with my movies. I like to give people hope. I like triumph of the human spirit. And Hollister, I'm with you, as I was watching this, I thought, how is this going to end on a note of hope? And yet, I think it managed to do that, which is nothing so short of miraculous. You me. I am like you, and I'm glad. Kudos, too, to the director, and he was one of the co-writers, Destin Daniel Cretton, who had worked with Brie Larson before in yeah. what I think was her first movie, Short Term 12, about foster care. And that movie, I only saw the trailer, but people said, and I can see it in the trailer, it had this documentary-like feel to it. Mm-hmm. Jeanette Wall said that as soon as she knew he was going to be directing this, she felt safe. And she said, quote, there's no cheap emotional blackmailing. It's this bizarre combination of love and hate and joy and despair and triumph. Yeah. And you feel all of these things simultaneously. And that's kind of what my life was like.
0: Um I think that I think that's absolutely true. But you bring up Brie Larson, and I think she's the weak link. I think I felt like her acting was in one gear, like it was in second gear through the whole thing. So I, the the young girl that was that played her to play Jeanette earlier, we saw the different gears. You know, the the love, the rage, the strength, the. All of those things, but I felt like Brie, Brie Larson just chose to play it sort of in one, you know, one gear, and I think it was second gear, and I don't think it did the film justice, I think it hurt the film, actually. I didn't find out that Jennifer Lawrence was scheduled to play her until after I'd seen the film, but the minute I heard that, I was like, oh my god, it would have been a different film, and it would have been ever so much better if Lawrence had played it.
1: That's interesting. I thought Brie Larson did a really good job. Mm -hmm. And I thought in many ways she had the harder role because she was 1989, she was affluent, she was dating the finance type, which in many ways it's harder to emote. And yet I felt like she did carry off that range, especially when they showed her at Barnard College, that scene and the strongest scene, which just took me off guard, was when she meets her mother, played by Naomi Watts. For lunch, and her mother reaches across to take some of her food, and Brie Larson just—it's like muscle memory—just defends her <laughs> food with the chopsticks. Yeah, yeah. You know, and Jeanette while she mentioned this in another interview. She said her now husband, the poor guy, you know, early on in the relationship, he was trying to plan a romantic evening, and he thought, "Oh, what's more romantic than sharing food?" And she said that is so ingrained in her from yeah. you know so many days without having any. She almost broke the guy's arm. <laughs> You
2: shouldn't be ashamed of us just because we choose a different lifestyle than you.
1: Why did you lose your sense of adventure? In many ways, it kind of reminded me of a very dysfunctional version of This Is Us, where you've got the flashback structure, the alcoholism theme, but what I love in both is the truly strong bonds of the siblings. To me, that was Heartbreaking, but in a good way, to see how they all stood by each other.
0: Well, for me, that was the that was another. there were many saving graces, but that was one of them. And then when I heard that the sisters didn't come to the opening and didn't want any part of it, I thought, huh, uh, you know she it, it did make her out to be the hero. And I have a feeling all four kids were heroes. you know, I've read that the youngest sister was perhaps
1: diagnosed with schizophrenia, and she...
0: Can you blame her? She was left alone. No, but
1: I'm thinking that might be why she didn't come. But also, she was the one that chose to live with the parents. I mean, she was the youngest when they moved to New York and were living in the squat. And there was an incident where she stabbed the mother they were alone together and that's what got her institutionalized so to me it's very interesting that Jeanette Walls has left New York City is now living on a farm in Virginia with her husband and her mother actually lives with her in a cottage where she is a self-proclaimed hoarder and you know still has her art and I thought that was very interesting that the movie uses her real mother's real art
0: well as the movie comes to a close They show both images and video of the real family, and what was stunning to me was how well cast it was visually, meaning these people all looked exactly like the people they were playing. Wasn't that amazing? And her parents were so good-looking when they were
1: young. You know how a lot of times you see the real-life people afterwards, and you're like, okay, after you get used to the Hollywood versions? You know, a very, very good-looking family. I thought that was a very nice touch at the end.
0: I mean, you've seen that before in other films, but I thought it was one of the best I'd seen of that type of presentation. I was also just
1: amazed that there was live footage of her parents in New York City as they were dumpster diving. But then later I read that her parents often appeared on TV. I mean, I don't know how often, often really is, but um, fighting for the rights of squatters. And so I'm kind of wondering if that was some kind of newsreel footage that they just happened to have.
0: It wouldn't surprise me either way, but I thought it, it enhanced our ability to see uh, the true connection between the two, the two groups of people. I, I, I I would, I think I might go see this movie again. And you know, I rarely do that. Um, I feel like I missed parts because I thought there were so many lessons and messages. I thought there was the lesson that love doesn't mean they're going to be nice. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I thought that sibling, uh, support was beautifully, beautifully laid out. And I also loved the strength of Jeanette, I thought she was inspirational in how she just kept coming back for more, learning as she was going through each of the lessons. There's a scene where she's in a bar, her father's trying to take some guy uh, at the pool table, and as she's going through that scene, again, I don't want to be as a Spoiler, so we don't talk about what actually happens. But you can see the lessons she's learning as she's letting it unfold. So she's not fighting what's going to happen in that moment, but she's letting it unfold, and it's brilliantly, brilliantly done. And I I think I might go see it again. I do. I do. It was very painful to watch, and sometimes I looked away. So I think I'd rather look head-on now that I understand the nuances of it. And I knew the storyline, so I knew what I was getting into when I went. I just didn't think it was going to hit me so hard, you know? Wow, Alisha, you have fortitude. Did you notice at the end,
1: the very last thing on the screen after the credits, it's dedicated to all families who, despite their scars, still find a way to love? Okay. <laughs> all right. Are you really going to ask if I stay uh, Well, long? because of the, the documentary footage and the, the real stills that were brought in, no, I thought once maybe you got, there once was Once it was chance. clear
0: that footage was over, I was out of there. You ready? <laughs> Survival there are mechanism. gifts in this, you know what it says, there are gifts in this film, O'Toole, there really are, there are gifts to be had. Mm-hmm. And she certainly never, no one
1: in that family ever plays the victim. It was interesting, I heard that she was at a reading in one bookstore, and you know, she was reading from a passage, and a woman shyly raised her hand in the front row and said, you know, I'm from Liberia, and I don't think this is so bad. <laughs> Everything is always relative, and the way yep. you know the way they coped, where life was seen as an adventure, even though they're being chased out of town, the father's lost a job, what have you. Let's go,
0: kids! Venture on our team. He needs the subway...
1: That reminded me of life is beautiful, where no matter what the backdrop is. This ability to tell another story in your head. And such an interesting
0: wrinkle on the whole story is that, you know, she was working in New York as a gossip columnist. Well, not only that, she did it not just for New York Magazine. She was also at MSNBC, Fox News, I think. Yeah, she, you know, she definitely followed the stars. And then the minute her bestseller hit... She took off and went back to Virginia on 200 acres where she lived happily ever after, or so to speak.
1: She said, you know, when the book came out, she was just bowled over by the kindness of people and their Mm -hmm. reactions. And she said that's when she quit doing gossip. And she said it was so ironic, quote, I was campaigning, crusading, and exposing other people while I was hiding my own secret. And I, However,
0: there's also some great things to read about her comments about not... Uh, allowing secrets. That the minute a secret is exposed, it no longer has power over you. And I think that's another reason why I want to go see it again. I think that's true. And I think every family that's uh, that's complicated, certainly my family is, has secrets. And I think it's really, really good to sort of go watch how they can eat at you and uh, stay with you, etc. Well, I also read that she'd written
1: an expose on Scientology, And Scientology Mm -hmm. was threatening to look into her past and expose her. And it was one more inducement to write the book, along with the encouragement of her husband.
0: That's interesting, right? So any last words on it? Well,
1: I thought you would like this, too. This is a quote, so we can end with Jeanette Walls' own words. Because, you know, if she's happy with it, I'm definitely happy with it. She says, I was told I would hate it. I love it. It's being understood and having my complicated, weird family portrayed in a way that is true. I'm not interested in being flattered or complimented or glorified. What I'm interested in is being understood. That, to me, is the greatest compliment. And the movie, to me, understood and still embraced and celebrated these crazy people.
0: (laughs) Well, that's a great comment, but the complexity of that is she's lucky she understood (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. Anybody who she told the story to, we can certainly understand. I think it's really hard to grow up and understand what all that meant. She
1: said that she realized it's not about forgiveness. It's
0: about acceptance. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so now, speaking of acceptance, I, did you watch What the Health? <laughs>
1: I did watch What the Health. Everyone oh was my talking God. about this in my, in my yoga class, and <laughs> I heard it was on Netflix, so I ran home and hit play.
0: We have an epidemic cascade of debilitating disease that's overcoming the country. 18% of
2: children are morbidly obese right now. We're on par to have one in three people be diabetic in the next 25 years. That's crazy statistics. We have this very dangerous situation.
0: Well, you know, you you have a commitment to these issues in general. And, O'Toole, you've been great in terms of helping me take a look at what goes in my mouth as well. But here's what's so shocking to me. Don't you think that 150 years from now... They'll look at the way we put food into our body and they'll say it was like when they bled people a hundred years ago to make them better. (laughs) I mean, it is, it's so upsetting and so huge that you don't even know how to attack it in your own life. We do tend to think of bad habits as being our birthright. Absolutely. Because the second thing is, and I've talked to you about this a million times, you should all know out there that when we're talking, sometimes I'll say to her, well, you know, I was just reading about turmeric, for example, and now we just find out that there are certain brands of turmeric that have um, mercury in them, and <laughs> I'm like, how do we know what is not going to be overturned tomorrow? It's almost as if somebody's been convicted of murder, and then the judge makes changes their mind, and then they change their mind again, and how am I supposed to know what I'm supposed to do here? It is so mind-boggling, that show. Absolutely mind-boggling. Well, you know, it's done by the same people from Cowspiracy.
1: And I remember seeing Cowspiracy a couple years ago. So most of my life I've been vegetarian. Not out of really any principle, but I just never really liked meat. And then last year I went vegan myself, again influenced by my fellow yogis. So I'm totally on board with his message. But it is just one qualifier I'd like to put out there while I think everybody across the board in terms of medical professionals could at least agree that the human diet should be at least 70 to 80% plant-based. I'm not sure that everybody has to be vegan. You know, I think there are different operating systems, but nor do I think anybody should be eating the meat that they discuss in this documentary when they went to that hog facility in North Carolina. I mean, how I know, horrifying I know. was I, I that? Know. I,
0: oh. Like all, right, but here, all right, but here, I'm going to throw this at you. Okay, so mm. I go to the store, and I think, okay, got to eat more veggies. So then I see the bags of veggies that are already clean for you, and I think, this is good for me because I am somebody who I might not take that extra 15 minutes to chop it up properly. And uh, Okay, so then you find out that the reason they stay fresh in that bag so long is because they bathe them in... Probably formaldehyde? No, worse. Starch. <laughs> Oh, you know, it's like, it's like you're adding starch to the wash <laughs> and okay. So you can't even buy vegetables and be guaranteed that you're not putting something terrible in your body with them or that they've had the, the pollution of being grown in Nebraska where the cross-pollination with stuff that shouldn't be made is happening. I mean, there's nothing that's safe. So what is it we're really supposed to do here? Well, Hollister, I mean, you bring up a really good point because the levels
1: of toxicity in our food supply, our soil, our water, our air, it's horrifying. I just heard a quote the other day. It's not from the documentary, but if left unchecked, which by all signals we, you know, we seem to be on that course mm-hmm. by 2050, there will be more plastic in the ocean than fish. Yeah. And again, I'm not anti eating fish, but as they bring up in what the health, where they call the fish mercury sponges, yeah. I'm like, this is terrible. And yeah, no, 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 no. I didn't realize that following all the tobacco litigation, the tobacco companies bought up the largest food Companies and I do put that in quotations, where they knew how to fill processed food with the same addictive chemicals that used in cigarettes. I
0: actually did know that. I don't know why, but that was a long time ago, too, that they started... Well, you you know, yeah. You know, when you think about all these watchdog organizations that were supposed to be
1: protecting us, that sold out to the money and the interests of...
2: The big industries. Health organizations have become co-opted. They are taking money from the very industries who are causing the problems. There's a very strong pharmaceutical industry and lobby that has a a huge stake in preserving the status quo.
1: We've got a thirty-five billion-dollar
0: statin drug industry. Do they ever want to see that go away?
1: So, for example, when they point out that chronic disease, things like heart conditions, diabetes, cancer is a $1.5 trillion industry in the U.S. These statistics are sobering. So, you know, at least I think we can all agree that if we try to turn this around and instead subsidized organic gardens, we should all be eating broccoli. But you're right. Everything has gotten so contaminated.
0: Uh, just tell me which broccoli to buy. That's all I'm asking. Just tell me It's so mind-boggling, and it's enormity. But at the same time, I'm really glad I watched the film because knowledge is power and what it what you have to do is make as many great decisions as you can but i know you follow this stuff a lot is there a website you think is going to be housing a lot of great information well i think there are many so yeah. put some
1: links up on our okay. site
0: but i know that this
1: film has its own website which is very interesting because when they quote a fact in the film they actually put the timestamp on it and a source on their website And that URL is whatthehealthfilm.com. Again, some very sobering statistics. But as a documentary, I thought it was a very engaging narrative structure. Like Kip Anderson, I I think. I did. You know, he's one of those narrators who interjects himself well into the story. The animation, um, you know, to highlight certain points, I thought, was very well done. And, for example, that scene where they say the amount of people who die from cardiovascular disease... Is the equivalent of four jumbo jets crashing every single hour, every single day, every single year, and when they show those animated jets crashing, I thought this is true that we have normalized. Yeah, that sickness. didn't work for me, by the way. <laughs> oh really? Was it because?
0: Well, because I'm terrified of flying, so I, I oh, really don't oh, need oh, that image. Oh oh
1: oh oh oh. No, but you. by
0: the way, I, I get I get the impact. It's it's set to make, but sometimes. I don't like those tools to do it because I I think it is unnecessary when really the truth is the truth and you shouldn't have to present it in that kind of vision.
1: And yet I think it sticks with us. Another one that worked for me was at the very beginning where he's talking about how the World Health Organization has ranked processed meat a group one carcinogen which puts it on par with cigarettes, asbestos, and
0: plutonium. By the way, the way they lay that out at the beginning was very story-ish. Mm-hmm. But that
1: visual where the mother's making breakfast for her kids, and then you look at what's in the frying pan, and she's frying cigarettes, that kind of visual, I think, really sticks with the viewer.
0: Yeah, but it's that kind of visual is designed to strike fear in your heart. And, you know, it's designed to slap you across the face. And I, I don't really want to be slapped. I just want to be educated. So... I found those bits in a way where I think people will look away and get angry rather than be able to really take it in and make the notation for it. But you don't need to slap me across the face to educate me. You can just give me the data.
1: See, to me, I liked it because the statistics are so daunting. About two out of three adults in the U.S. are overweight. Half of all Americans look at some form of cancer. I mean, even in the last 25 years, things have gone downhill so precipitously. I hope it does lead to better discussions because one point which i think gives us hope is that unlike our department of agriculture that you know gets these individuals together who are taking money apparently from mcdonald's and the national dairy council the american meat institute coca-cola craft to figure out what should go into our food pyramid did you hear that canada they haven't passed it yet but they have revised their food guidelines for the first time in ten years, and this time they decided not to be beholden to the food industry and the lobbyists. So they're actually recommending a plant-based diet mm-hmm. with less so meat and less dairy. That, you know,
0: fascinating stuff. So, uh, but I think I think it's a really good watch. It's on Netflix. Uh, if anybody wants to pick it up, which leads us to our list of six this week. Yes. Okay. Here's what's funny. So the list of six we decided to do were, um, father daughter relationships in film or television, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Inspired by the glass castle. Exactly. And when I went to start, for some reason, I, I started to think about father-son's instead. So I had such a good time because I did all the father-son stuff. So we'll have to do that another time. But today we're going to do father-daughter. What's your first pick? What did you get?
1: Okay, I'm going to start with George Clooney and Shailene Woodley making her film debut in The Descendants,
0: the Alexander Payne I didn't see Paine it. Film. Do I need to see
1: it?
2: I'm the backup parent, the understudy, and with Elizabeth wife in the hospital, my daughters attesting me.
0: Real good job you're doing. I thought she was oh. terrific. Okay, I was going to start with Les Rob. Oh, very interesting,
1: Hollister. Yeah,
0: I mean, it was one of my favorite plays on Broadway, and so when, it, when they made the film out of it, I wasn't sure that I was going to like the film. I wasn't sure that they could, in essence, you know, do it justice. And I felt like they really did, and I think... His love of her, which was born out of guilt about how he treated her mother, but really grew into this father-daughter relationship that I felt was, had everything that a father-daughter relationship has, learning to let go, trusting, um, nurturing, uh, protecting, all of the things that I would hold dear in a father-daughter relationship. So I picked Les Mis. Nice. What do you got next? All right,
1: this next one, I'm not sure that it's the Best father-daughter, but I definitely wait, wait, appreciated well, well, you can't it. you were appreciated to start that way. Well, okay. What is it? It's Stanley Holloway and Audrey Hepburn as the Doolittles in oh, *My huh. Fair Lady*. I just loved that dynamic. Wait, you know, they, ended also, up,
0: they ended up being together as a couple. That was Professor Higgins. I was like, wait He's a minute, one, we can't that do it his... with a little oh, bit of luck. Oh, right, right, right. Oh, I'm and sorry. me to the church okay. on time. Yeah.
2: Let's have a whopper, but get me to the church on time. Oh,
0: that's interesting. Well,
2: you know what's
1: very interesting is, I don't know if you remember that scene where... You see Stanley Holloway, and now he's all cleaned up because obviously he was the father equivalent of a street
0: urchin. Because he has to get to the church on time. He has
1: to get to the church on time. And he said, who asked to make a gentleman out of me? Mm -hmm. And he's really kind of sad about it with what he calls the middle class morality that's now been foisted upon him, whereas before he thought he had a lot of freedom. And, you know, that is not unlike... The socioeconomic dynamics of the value system of Jeanette Walls's mother in the Glass yeah,
0: Castle. Yeah, it's one of the reasons yours is such a good choice. Is it also is it does parallel a bit with the movie? You know, the movie we saw. You were born to change the world, not just add uh, to so the noise. Why do you think all of us ran away from you?
1: We were drowning.
0: Um, Yeah, I love that choice. God, I never would have come up with that one. Not in a million kajillion years. Your next one? I'm going to go with Dan in Real Life. Did you see it? Oh, yes, with Steve Carell. Okay, I love the way he fathered those kids with humor. Um, When he stands, his daughter is supposed to be studying in a diner, and he's picking her up, so he's standing and looking in the window, and she's kissing some boy. And he just starts pounding on I mean... First of all, I love the humor, but I also love the strength, and I love the boundaries, and I love that he's not infallible. I just love the humorous way it was treated. Put it on my tablet. <laughs> okay, what else you got? What's your my last one? Is This is us. Oh, I love that you found a television show. I didn't have a TV show, and I thought, ah, I have not, I've not examined that well enough, and I certainly wasn't going to do Father Knows Best. And your last one, Hollister. Can I just throw in that I couldn't decide between two, and then tell you which one I decided? You
1: know that I'm the more
0: lenient of the rules followers between the two of us. So so yes. Okay, you okay. couldn't decide between I Am Sam, which is the better choice. With Sean Penn? And Trouble with the Curve. So I went with cu- Trouble with the Curve. Oh, that's a good choice.
1: Amy Adams. I, you know, I,
0: I love that it. it was a problematic relationship. I love Again. I thought it really paralleled the movie that we saw where, you know, love's not always easy and you can love somebody and not necessarily behave well, you know? It's like, mm-hmm. yeah. So I went with Trouble with the Curve. You end with Clint Eastwood. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you
2: made my day. <laughs>